When you go to market, it's not a big bang and you're done. It's continuous, so it's agile. People talk about agile development. We've talked about it for years and scaled agile and stuff like that. The, the reality is marketing has to be equally agile. You're listening to GTM Disrupted with Mike Smart of Egress Solutions. Learn how product management and product marketing thought leaders are rethinking their business strategies to thrive in a world of radical change. Hi, my name is Mike Smart and welcome to Go To Market Disrupted. Today I have a special friend, a colleague, and actually even a former client here with me today, Phil Montgomery. Phil is, is an executive of Go To Market and product, man, product Marketing. He brings more than 25 years of technology marketing experience, which is across security, enterprise software, services, hardware, Internet of Things, and other segments. Phil has launched more than 20 products and services, both for startups and large companies. Most recently, Phil has held senior executive positions at companies like Mandiant, formerly FireEye, and Microsoft. He's also held senior product positions at Identiv, VMware, and Citrix Systems. Phil is based in Silicon Valley and originally from Australia. He is a graduate of University of Southern Queensland with a bachelor's degree in business. Phil also served seven years in the Australian Army, departing with the rank of captain. I'm excited, I'm honored, and I'm pleased to have Phil here today. Phil, welcome, and thank you for taking some time with us today. Hey, Mike, thank you for that fantastic uh, introduction, and I think you, you covered all the highlights really well. And I was just thinking as you were talking about it, how long has it been that we've known each other and worked together? I was, I was trying to think it's probably 15 years. Getting there, getting there. So I one of the companies that I would have listed, but I didn't just to save a little time is I believe that company was Blue Coat. Yeah, I think so. That? Now, now yeah. Semantic, yeah. Right, right now, semantic. That's correct, and I think that time frame would have been roughly two thousand eight or something like yeah. that. So you nailed it, right around fifteen years. Good memory, man. Yeah, I do um, remember that I didn't have any gray hair when we met. So neither did I. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there it is, right there. You know, Phil, I did that highlights, and I'm glad I nailed it. I didn't mess up anything. But I think what people really like to know when they interact with or get to listen to people like yourself that have a long, stellar, successful career in the tech industry is what's the journey like? How, how did you, how did you, you didn't get born to this, you, you grew into it. So how did that happen? What were the turning points or the flashpoints for you that sort of helped guide you along this path? Yeah, that's, that's a good place to start. And I think for me, it's certainly been an exciting and a wild ride. And everybody thinks that a journey or a career is upwards and to the right. And I don't think that could be further from the truth, especially if you're passionate about what you do. And, you know, as someone, as an immigrant to this country, you know, I moved my family twice actually across the world to be in the U S so I'm really passionate about what I do. And I always say that the defining characteristics in anybody, um, but especially in product people is you're either passionate or you're not. And I can teach people, anything about product management, product marketing, go to market and so on, but I can't give them passion. And, no, and I love what I do. And, and I think there's a common thread you see throughout my career. And that is security. I spent the first seven years in the Australian army and, you know, learned a lot about, you know, a certain kind of security. And then after doing a few startups, really getting into cybersecurity and seeing that problem 
grow around us. So the journey for me has been one of, of looking for passion and looking what interests me. I think the turning point for me, after I left the army, I did set up and sell a few startups and I sold my software company to Novell. And we were doing security. We were doing single sign-on and uh, through Novell Directory Services. That brought me the first time to the US, to Utah. And yeah, we were self-funded because there was no such thing as venture capital in Australia, which is a, a pretty funny story. But I helped write the software, but I'm a terrible programmer. And I admit that. And I was lucky to have a partner who was just an incredible developer. But for me, the first big career shift was understanding what product management was. And I think product management is super exciting to really be working out with the stakeholders, with the customers, with sales, with partners, and then bringing that knowledge into the R&D team and using techniques like personas and stories, you know, to help define, you know, what they need to be building. And I did that role for about, I'm trying to think, probably about seven years at, at various companies. And I really enjoyed it. But at a certain point, I just naturally found this evolution that drew me more to the product marketing side. And I always say product marketing and product management work very closely together. They're like interlocking circles. There is an overlap there. But what I started to really enjoy, I think earlier in my career, I thought the product was technology. And then as I evolved, I started to see that the product is just not the bits or the service that you deliver. It's everything around it. It's pricing and packaging. It's messaging and positioning. It's all of those things. And so I find, found myself going to product marketing. And the, the last thing on the journey, I did step up to be a CMO at a few points. And what I found was I just missed being involved in product all the times. And while I understand lead gen and demand generation, I think there's such an element of data science in the CMO role that it's not really me. So the advice I would have for the listeners is it's okay to be yourself and it's okay to identify what you're really good at, what you really enjoy doing. And for me right now, it's the intersection. It's everything product. It's the intersection of the technology, the go-to-market, what the customers are looking for. So that was a long answer. but No, it was a perfect answer. Yeah. You know, and just to kind of amplify and spin off, and I, and I think I, I, I certainly align with your thinking, you hit on two points. One is being passionate about it. So the evolution of the process, if you keep doing the things that matter to you most, and if you're learning, then to your point, you're going to evolve. Right. If you're taking these things and you're learning as you go, it's going to move you across some path. It's not linear. It's probably not even I, I don't know what the journey is. It's probably zigzagged or it's multidimensional a lot of ways. But but it's, it's an opportunity to stay excited about what you're doing. You know, you 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 are somebody one of the few people I know that actually have go to market in your title for one of your jobs. And that's a big tent. That's something people just throw all sorts of things in. I'd be curious to get your perspective on what's what are the essential things inside go to market that make a difference or make the difference for a successful product it's a great question and the first thing about go to market is it's going to mean slightly different things to different people and it's important to define the organization that you're in what exactly go to market means but to me, what go-to-market is, it's taking an offering, and we always say product, but a product could be a physical thing, it could be software, it could even be a service, or it could be a combination of all those things. But it's all about taking that offering and bringing it into the market and helping the sales, helping the sellers, helping the partners. It's everything that goes around it being successful in the marketplace. And I know that's a that's a 
pretty broad definition. Uh, so, so maybe the things to me in in particular, it's an alignment process. You know, go to market is only successful when you've got everybody aligned, and that's from engineering, from sellers, from corporate marketing, where you've got the machine all working together. And if you extended the question and said, what is the core of what product marketers do? I think while go-to-market is only one of the elements, I think what we do is align people. We get all of those people moving together and with the right messaging and with consistency. So for a go-to-market to be successful, I think in any organization, it has to be aligned across the organization. Everybody has to understand what you're doing. It has to be known and it has to be measured. You can't just throw stuff out there and hope that it works as well as the the typical measurements like the funnel and then the pipeline stages, what are the two or three things that, that really, really matter that help you get ahead of where the product is? For example, how many people are undergoing an evaluation, if that's applicable? Mm-hmm. So you hit on something. In fact, you kind of set up my next question, which is <laughs> kind of unpacking what product marketers bring to this go-to-market process. You talked about alignment. What other elements fall into place? critical elements from for the teams that you've managed. Yeah. And if we're expanding, you know, from go to market, the, the product success, all of those elements, as I said, I'm going to come back to where I started, which is alignment. You know, you have to have alignment. And the other thing I should mention is that my underlying business philosophy, you know, if there's one philosophy that I follow, it's essentialism. And this is a book by Greg McKeon. I recommend if you haven't read it, uh, anybody listening, please go pick up a copy. It's the greatest book you'll ever read. What essentialism is all about doing, it's all about people do too much. Essentialism is distilling everything that's going on down to the two or three things that really matter. And this is super important in go-to-market because we live in an attention economy. We're fighting for attention, not just from customers, but from sellers, from partners, from corporate marketers, and so on. So when we look at a go-to-market, we need to look, get rid of all the, the fluff around it that we don't really need. And we need to really zero on the things that really, really matter and make sure that we deliver them with super high quality. It, it's interesting. It kind of parallels a thread that I like to think about is doing better when we do things through subtraction, meaning to your point, getting down to the bare bones, getting down to the two or three things that you can see and measure for outcomes. It's kind of another spin or another take on on the book that you're talking about, Essentialism. I think, first of all, when I look at a go-to-market process, I will start with a framework, whether it be the Serious Decisions Framework, the Product Marketing Alliance, Pragmatic Marketing, where I believe you and I first first engage with each other. And there's a whole set of boxes on there of things that you need to be doing. I just want to zero in on two things. I want to make sure I get down to some details. The first thing is, when you take something to market, you have to have a messaging source document. It, mm-hmm. it sounds bureaucratic. It sounds like, who writes documents these days? But I'm talking about a three to four page document. And you highlight all of the, obviously, the key features, you translate them into benefits, and then here are the key messages. But you use that to align all those stakeholders. And once you've built it, you can then just copy and paste and put things out there. So so I think that's really, really important. And the other thing I'm going to drill into as well, it's important to look at the craft of go-to-market and product marketing and drill into all those boxes. If you're going to ask me, what am I really passionate about that a lot of people don't do? It's win-loss analysis. And when I say win-loss analysis, getting an external consultant to go out and talk to a 30 to 40, maybe 20 customers who 
won and lost and getting a proper independent perspective of why you win or lose. And the reason why I wanted to mention that, this is a good example of a precise, of a measurement that you can make and data that you can bring back to the rest of the organization and align them. I worked in one organization where we thought that we were losing because of lack of features. We did a win-loss analysis, and in the top 10 reasons why we lost, only one of them was features. The number one reason why we lost was the product, was pricing. There was a promotion by the competitor that we were losing to. And so, as I said, out of 10 things why we lost, one of them was feature-related. So we were able to change the roadmap. And this is a good example how go-to-market can have impact on the product as well. Egress Solutions is a high-touch product growth and market success consultancy. Since 2009, Egress Solutions has had successful engagements with the top technology organizations, delivering insights into buyer preferences, product market fit, product management, and go-to market excellence. Egress Solutions accelerates top-line growth and market success for our clients. Go to www.egresssolutions.net to learn more. Do you think that the discipline of doing win-loss or insight about buyer behavior has to be outsourced? Is it something that can be done internally? You know, this is a this is a really fantastic question, Mike. If you can't outsource it, can you can you call 20 salespeople? Can you call the customers yourself? You you can. You absolutely can do it. But if you ask me, Phil, why is outsourced independent win-loss so valuable? It's so val- valuable because you're removing bias. Mm. You know, salespeople, and you have to convince the salespeople, they're not going to be held accountable. You're not measuring them. You just genuinely right. want to know the reasons why they win or lose because people don't just buy products on features. And as I said, I have documented evidence at multiple companies where I've done this that the reasons why we lose were things like you didn't have enough references, the evaluation was too difficult, you know, there was a pricing problem. And that's the power of the go-to-market that I'm passionate about is, is that the product was was those one out of 10 reasons. And the reasons why we were winning, by the way, again, there was probably two or three features in the top 10 lists. Some, some of the reasons were the same, but we had all the scripts we could drill into and read it. Now, right. if you're in a smaller organization, if you're in a startup and you're a go-to-market person, you, you can have a customer council, you can call customers, you can talk to salespeople. But make sure you do it and make sure you do it in a disciplined way so that the data can't be challenged. If I can leave you with one thing, I would say one of the proudest moments in my career was at the organization when I showed them the win-loss analysis. The head of engineering stood up and he said, I do not believe this. He said, but Phil, you've given me the data that I can't dispute it. This is incredible. And you know, they just loved it. And in other organizations, I've had engineers looking through all the win-loss, you know, reading all the customer interviews, and they, they, they just love it. They just eat it all up. And there are companies like Closed, C-L-O-Z-D, out of Utah, yes. who have uh, their startup that's doing a cloud-based win-loss methodology, and it's surprisingly inexpensive to get going. Right, right. And I think that's another way to, to look at it. They, they specifically have a platform that sort of can enable some self-service capabilities as well. Yeah, and, and these days it's more continuous as well. It's yes. instead of like I, I used to do big bangs back in the day and you, right. you, know, you do it every six to 12 months. Their point of view is that you can have a subscription to a regular, Ongoing. like let's add right. three to five every month because right. the reasons are going to change over time. 
it also is a lot less heavy lifting. I mean, it becomes more doable to keep it as a discipline. Yeah. So absolutely. what do, what do you see as some of the common go to market miscues or mistakes? You hit on a couple, but I'm just curious as you come at these things, when you look back or zoom out, what's the most common thing you see that, that goes goes awry? Yeah, I, th- I think I've already touched on doing too much. Yes. Most companies that I've joined, I log into the sales enablement platform if they have one, if not into the SharePoint or the OneDrive. There's there's two to 300 things there. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to find anything here. Mm-hmm. So so I think they're overwhelming. That's That's one mistake. I think the second is forgetting the world that we live in today and not treating sellers as customers. Why are you sending... 100 slide presentation to salespeople when a two minute video will probably answer their questions. What do you have an internal YouTube where they can easily search and find all the videos? Do you have a recording of a seller who just closed a big deal? Do you have a podcast like, like, like this? <laughs> you know, use all those techniques because we are struggling for attention from our salespeople. And I think that ties into sales kickoffs. Believe it or not, I've seen people that still want to do 40 minute sessions with their sellers. And I'm like, no, no, 15 to 20 at the most, but like mix it all up. Like, like you have to adapt to the world. Uh, I think that's the other thing. Some other common mistakes. I think the, the best one would be technical marketing has its place, but instead of creating a vision around where you're going, it's very technical marketing and not even talking about benefits. That is a big thing to me. You, know, you have to be able to translate the features into the benefits and translate it into you know, messages and you have to wrap a vision around it. People mm-hmm. forget that customers want to buy from somebody who has a vision of where they're going. You know, and a good example of just talking about a feature, we're currently in a world where I, I like to call it, call it AI washing. Every company is saying they have AI. So what? Yeah. What, do, what do I get? And, and let me give you an example. Mm-hmm. Tesla has AI, but they say they have self-driving vehicles. That's perfect. That's taking a feature, AI, and it's creating a benefit. This car drives itself. And so, so we have to challenge all of those assumptions. And I think the other thing I've already mentioned is lack of consistency. Like, like you have to apply it with consistency. And lastly, you know, when you go to market, it's not a big bang and you're done. It's continuous. So it's agile. People talk about agile development. We've talked about it for years and scaled agile and stuff like that. The, the reality is marketing has to be equally agile. You, you, don't, you don't train a salesperson once. You don't market right. to a customer once. You take them along a journey. So, so let's be agile and let's try things. Let's experiment. Innovation doesn't just come from engineering. I really dislike when organizations say innovation is an engineering thing. It's not. It's Everybody innovates, sellers innovate, partners innovate, marketing innovates, you know, go to market innovates, try something. If it didn't work, say, well, that didn't work. Let me try something else. Maybe it I, I sort of, I sort of look at that comment you made, which is great, which is brilliant that, and, and I look at a lot of product marketers who spend the largest leverage point of their time focused on launch as if the launch is an equivalent to go to market. And, and I think your point is this is an ongoing iterative process for that. You're right. You're right. And that's what I should have said. The launch is a moment in time. It's not like you right. launch it and then you're done. Right, right, right. So uh, curious question. A lot of companies out there still view this go to market activity as a sales led motion. 
What's your take on that? Is that relevant? Is it still meaningful? Is it shifting based on the things we see in the marketplace? Changes in buyer preference, that sort of thing. Wow, you're with the good questions today. You're going to challenge me. You know, go to market absolutely encompasses sellers. It encompasses partners. It encompasses digital stores. You know, product marketing is one element of the go-to-market, as we know. So it is a unified effort across the organization. I mean, it's all the activities that you're using to take something to market. And I think probably every person in the organization touches it at some point. Um, And that's why it's important to use frameworks to figure out in your world, what are you responsible for? And then have your partners agree what they're responsible for. From a product marketer's point of view, the most important relationships are with product management, inbound into engineering, and then with the sales enablement team. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you figure out the swim lanes and get that right. But to answer the question, sales is absolutely part of go-to-market. Right, right. But an element that is not only go-to-market, it's a piece of it. You said it's a part of it. Curious how you feel about alignment. You mentioned alignment. Do you believe goal alignment should be there or do you generally in your teams, do you, do you look for that? Or you, 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 you focus more on, I would say, cultural alignment, alignment of task, alignment of at, at that level, or do you get down to kind of sharing OKRs and, and that sort of thing? You absolutely need to have alignment around all the things you mentioned. Now, whether you use OKRs or MBRs or some other technique, I mean, these are just frameworks to get alignment through common goals. Mm-hmm. Um, I've used all of them. They all have their pros. They all have their, their cons. You just don't want to become a slave to them. You, you want to remember that they're a tool to give you alignment to make sure you're doing the same thing. But I'll tell you one thing from a go-to-market or a product marketer's point of view that people often forget. I think the most important alignment vehicle is a well-understood vision. You have to know where the company is going, not where you are right now. If you're not out 12 months plus in the market, you're not creating a vision. You're just saying, here's where we are now. And maybe Tesla is a good example because Elon Musk is way out in front of what the vehicles can do. And he is creating a vision for electric vehicles and he is being very disruptive. So I think that's really important. And I I see a lot of companies, like they are going all over the place because they don't have that vision to unify against. For example, when you look at the technology roadmap, everything that engineering is doing, is this a here and now or is this contributing to that vision? Um, That's really important, like everything that marketing is doing and so on. So I would look for, apart from the normal like alignment vehicles, like I would really look for that vision alignment because if you get everybody moving in the same direction, you can move mountains. And the, the greatest thing about moving everybody in the same direction If it's the wrong direction, you will figure it out really quickly and you'll make an adjustment and head towards the right direction. It'll Well, yeah, the running into the wall becomes very clear at that point. One of the things that I think you see, I see these days is clearly companies that have done the vision work and then set it aside. So one of the things that seemingly needs to be done on a consistent basis of refreshing this North Star and bringing it back together. So I, I, I... totally understand the, the point about aligning around vision as, the, as probably the best single tool. Think about the macro environment we're living in. You know, there, there are headlines out there. I just kind of scanned headlines a few weeks ago that you have the analyst community suggesting that buyer preference has shifted. Things are totally different than they were four or five years ago. Um, sellers are frustrated. Sellers are, are hitting walls on 
on the dynamics of the fact that buyers don't want to engage them in a way. What's your take on what's happening around this area of go-to-market, shifting customer preferences? What do you what do you see that's going on? It's all about being agile. We live in a dynamic world, and clearly coming through the pandemic, we saw a huge bring forward of IT spending as people went completely remote and we saw companies staff up for that sustained spending. Things are clearly different. I'm, I'm not an economic analyst and I can only hope that the economy uh, stays where it is and then like heads back upwards. But the times are different. So customers are under more pressure. Everybody has less budget. You have to ask questions like, am I a aspirin? Am I solving a pain point? Or am I a vitamin? Am I nice to have? And maybe one of the ways we need to respond, the win-loss analysis is really going to help. If things are changing out there in the market, are you declining more than the economic downturn? You know, mm-hmm. Is there a fundamental shift that, that that's affecting you? Because when times are good and people have a lot of money to spend, yeah, they they get a lot of different best of breed solutions. I think we just need to read read the economic reports, talk to customers. One of my uh, mantras, or as I call them, philosophy, get it, is that the answers are not in the office. Anybody who thinks they can sit in their home office or, or sit, sit, sit in a physical and know what's going on is wrong. The answers are not in the office. The answers are with customers. The answers are out there with you talking to partners, without you talking to sellers, without you understanding what's going on. So you can- I am so glad to hear you say that, Phil. And yet in the midst of all of this, we're looking at product marketers and product managers relying more and more on tools that take them out of the loop of actually talking to customers. It's an interesting dynamic that I see that people want to rely on more data, data extracted from the platform as opposed to interfacing with real people. It's just an interesting yeah. thing that I think is going on as well. You raise a really a really interesting point whether we can diverge down. We always have to remember that business in general is not a science. If it was a science, nobody would fail. We wouldn't have bankruptcies. Is that business is part science and it's part emotional connection. It's it's part because when you're dealing with buying, buying is an emotional process. As, as much as we like to think it's completely rational, it's not. It's not. And as product people, I think we have to be able to talk to those people to connect with them and really deeply understand them. I am a big believer in personas. I don't like it when people say the user. Well, which user? And, and tell me about them and, and what are they trying to do? And the same thing with sellers. I think seller personas are, are, are equally important. And how do we drive, you know, motivate their behavior to get what we need? So if I were asking, kind of looking out, what do you see coming? I'm not trying to set the stage for any specific technology or anything like that. I'm just, if you're looking out a ways, what do you, what do you think's changing here? What do you think changes in the next two, three, four, five years. I'm not interested in a forecast per se, but just sort of what visions of things do you see playing out? What 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 happens? I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this one deeply. What do I see happening? First of all, I see a lot more change. We're, we are not at an end point. Personally, I think we'll see over the next two to three years, we'll see a return to the office. I think a return to the human interaction, the in-person interaction, because I, I think that's very powerful. And remote work has always been here and it's here to stay. But I think there's an element of that. Economically, I'm hoping that we avoid recession and, and that we start to, to track upwards. And there will always be sectors that do well. The real advice I would have to people listening is the companies that do well over the next two to three years 
are going to be the agile companies. I'm not talking about development. I'm talking about they're agile in the market and they deeply understand their buyers. They deeply understand their sellers. They understand where the market is going. They have a hypothesis and they're able to react really quickly. And, and they also understand the societal trends. If anything, I think one day, you know, video, video rules, like um, if I go to research a company, I don't go to their website. I just go to YouTube. And I, I go to some companies on YouTube and they don't really have good video. So maybe that's just me. I don't know. But, but we, we have multiple generations in the workforce and you know, younger people have different requirements. So I think understanding all of that is, is going to make you just so much better at the go-to-market because I'll leave you with one really important thing. Being in go-to-market or being a product marketer is not a project management job. There's elements of that in the job. Do you need to be good at it? Yeah, absolutely. You need to be good at it, but that's not the job. The job is to understand the product on one side or the service and to understand you know, how you take it to market and how you can build that effective go-to-market and measure it. And your key thread, I want to draw this out, is understanding buyer behavior or user behavior is the, is, it's the foundation. It's the, that, that is the foundation piece for you. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you can do unexpected things. I mean, Steve Jobs famously said, I believe, is that customers don't necessarily know what's possible. And he's absolutely yes. right. That right. doesn't mean you can't innovate, but you understand how it impacts them, you, you know, how, how they can consume it, how, how they can take it on board. So you do have to innovate. You have to take risks. You have to get out there. But at the end of the day, buying is an emotional process. Well said. Last question for you. When you look to industry or beyond, who are some of the people you look to for their depth, insight, or inspiration? Who are they? And, and it's not people. It could be other areas or other things that you look at. Any Anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I, I get inspiration for, from everywhere. And I could quote business leaders that I think have had an incredible impact on my life. I think Mark Templeton is the CEO of Citrix. I just think the world of him, how he brought so much humanity, so much of the marketing mindset as well as technology and just built Citrix into an incredible company. But also I get inspired with like people who work on my team. I mean, people that, that I work with, with peers. I mean, we can all bring insights to each other. One of the places I spend a lot of time is on YouTube is, is just watching speeches about various things. And ironically, if they're any longer than about seven minutes, I typically don't watch them. But I think there's inspiration around us everywhere. I, I know I'm probably not giving a good answer, but- No, you're actually I, giving I, a very good I answer. Don't, I don't think experience, I, I don't think you should just read books from Jack Welch, for example. And again, he's an incredible leader. I'm not dissing him at all. I, I think you can find inspiration from everywhere. Phil? appreciate the time it's been great to chat with you thank you very much hey thanks mike it was a pleasure all the best thank you for listening to learn more about egress solutions head on over to www.egresssolutions.net we'll see you next month on gtm disrupted